Congratulations. 108 episodes. That's yes, amazing. Yes. Congratulations. I know. It's wow. crazy. I know. It's, it's, I started this up about three years ago, and I just wanted to, I couldn't get a teaching job. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wish I was, because I, I have a, a bachelor's in design, I have a master's in fashion management and merchandising, and I really wanted to be in, in the educational world, and I was just having trouble. I had been working in the fashion industry on the corporate side, and yeah, no one wanted to let me teach. I'm like, you know what? No one's going to stop me from teaching. Let me do a podcast and just put the information yeah. out, you know? So. Yeah, well, I, I also, well, after the podcast, let's talk because I know someone, you know, this is my thing, right? Putting people with the right people mm-hmm. and making stuff happen. Oh, and yeah. uh, I, I know a few people who are at FIT as well as with the new school and Parsons graduate program in retail. Oh, nice. I'd love to connect you with some folks. Oh, that would be great. I have a lot of industry experience, so I'm surprised yeah. I haven't got one by now. <laughs> okay, well, we're going we're gonna to see what we can we're do We're going to work on that. So I like to start every episode with just a little icebreaker. It's called This or That. Um, I just okay. want you to tell me which one you prefer over the other. Okay. okay. Are you a skinny leg or flare leg girl? Flare. Are you a mule or a wedge girl? Mm. Well, I say woman. Let me not say girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I think mule. Mule, okay. Yeah, uh, mule. Uh, big brim or a beret girl? Now, here's a problem because I love a hat. <laughs> and I have both 
because I love a hat, but I guess right now I would say big brim. University uh, and I was in the School of Communications and Theater because my dream job was to be um, a broadcaster like I wanted to be in broadcast I wanted to have my own show um, I I had been in theater and I danced um, semi-professionally since I was 13 I had studied dance since I was five I wanted to either be Debbie Allen or Oprah Winfrey Love. And then, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, move in that space. And so design retail was nowhere in my, it was nowhere. Right? It wasn't, like, I, I designed on the side. I've always been a creative person. I went to art school starting in second grade. Um, and my godmother sewed. Um, she was quite the seamstress. So she taught me how to make patterns and and I love doing that just because I was a creative person but I never thought about it as making a living you know and then when I was it was I was interning at power 99 and um, a few other stations in Philly I had um, I had a tape like I had been doing this for a long time I had my own show on WRTI and uh, I was sending out my tapes and going on interviews and I, it was uncomfortable, quite honestly, the the response I was getting from the program managers and the, you know, in the interview, it just felt really uncomfortable. Like nobody wanted to know what I thought. Nobody asked me about anything. They wanted to know what was my, you know, oh, what what is your ethnicity? You look so exotic. Or they wanted to take you to dinner. Or they were get too close. And they wanted to, like, it was very much that me too kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. Hmm. And then I got offered a job like in South Dakota. <laughs> and I was oh, like, oh, <laughs> I can't do that. That does not going to work. And I thought, well, maybe this industry is not for me. Like, maybe this is a message. Maybe there's another way to tell stories. So I went to, uh, I went to Drexel University for grad school. And while I was in grad school, I got into Macy's executive training program because my father was like, you're not going to be a starving artist. You need to figure this out. Right? Like, I figure it out okay you want to tell stories you're creative you can paint on the weekends figure the shit out and so <laughs> I was like okay right and so I, I once I got into Macy's executive training program and I, you know I was balancing that being in school and working but I saw another side of retail because all I knew was that you worked in the store and you were a salesperson I had no idea where the product came from or any of that and so um once I got in that program and I got to see how you can tell stories through product in a very different way. You don't have to be a designer because I didn't want to do that to make a living. And, you know, how, how can I use my voice in a different way and my creativity? And so that's how I started my career. And I moved really quickly, quite honestly. And then I went from um, Macy's to Express. And I was with Express for eight years. I started 
as actually as a store analyst and then moved very quickly, had eight promotions in six years and went from a store analyst to senior merchant for Knit Tops, which was the largest business. As a matter of fact, when I had started with the company, it was a $65 million business. Wow. By the time I left, by the time I left, it was $350 million. And so I, right, and, and I, at, at one point, you know, I was the only, well, not, I was, there were three women of color who were in the corporate side of the business, and we're still friends, but a woman's an assistant, and one started the exact same time as I did as a store analyst. Mm -hmm. And um, I got promoted, and they didn't. And I, I was like, well, you know, they were like, well, you, you do all these extra things. I'm not doing that. They should be promoting me just because, you know, I'm working my ass off. And I'm doing. And I was like, yeah, that's not. I don't think that's how corporate America works, mm -hmm. right? And right. And I was lucky enough, like my mom and dad. Um, kind of gave me a real clear picture, right? Like, this is who you are. This is who you need to be in corporate America. And this is how you're going to, you know, move. You, you, you don't get promoted for doing the job. You get promoted for showing how you can be in that next position. And so I kind of always thought that, and I think I was a little naive at the beginning. And then as I moved through my career, I went from there, had my own line for three years until I did business with a very large retailer who I won't say and um, had to close up shop and sue them. But that's a whole nother, that's another show. And then I, I moved to New York City. We don't and, make that this um, show, I'm gonna bring you back for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I moved to New York and uh, you know, we, um, I worked for Foot Locker Global and I led their private label and the reason I was hired there is because of what I had done at Express. So I went in and they, that was the time, that was the early 2000s and people had, um, you know, the big idea was the big white t-shirt. Like everybody had these big t-shirts so you can get five for $25 at Foot Locker. Mm. That was like their big business. Um, I went in and I started with the US but then was given Canada and Europe and I had all of the Foot Locker brands and built their private label business from that $200 million t-shirt business to $875 million full on private label business. And I was like, I like doing this. Like I like going in and finding the opportunity and, and growing it. And uh, with my merchandising and product development background, there were a lot of opportunities for that. And so that's why I spent a large part of my uh, career doing that for them for David's Bridal and, and Priscilla Boston. Um, I've worked for Ann Taylor. And then I decided to try something different and I went over to Iconics. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Iconics, but I, Iconics own Rockaware and uh, Badger Mishka and Danskin, a ton of brands. And I went there and became brand president for Joe Boxer, London Fog, Bongo, and Rampage. And um, that was different because you weren't, I wasn't hands-on with product or strategy, but because of my background in those areas, I could work directly with my licensees. I could work directly like with Joe Boxer. I could go into a retailer and work with their team on my brand, right? And strategize it to grow it. And so it was really interesting. And I, I got hands-on experience in really driving marketing and understanding licensing and and you know the, the there were some perks like I got to work with Jay-Z's team you know and 
have dinner with Jay-Z. He's a very cool guy, as a matter of fact. Um, and, and I hired Kim Kardashian right before they, they were taping Keeping Up the Kardashians, the first season of Keeping Up the Kardashians. And I hired her to be the spokesperson for Bongo, which turned that business around. So, you know, I took a chance in the new to apply my skills in a different way. But fast forward, you know, um, and spending time in corporate, I moved back to Ohio in 2015, I think, to work for L Brands again. And I was uh, the senior vice president of um, uh, strategy, merch ops, and merchandising for Bath and Body Works. And it, it was like, you know how you kind of go through your day and you're like, oh, this is how it is, right? It is what it is. Maybe I'll see somebody who looks like me. Maybe I'll have a peer. Maybe I'll, you know. But my, I had always been the person who was reaching out to bring people in who were black women, brown women, Asian women. Like anybody I didn't see, I wanted to bring them in. And um, I, uh, I, when I got to Bath and Body Works, even though there were a few, there were two other women who looked like me. One was a director, one was a vice president, and I was the senior vice president. And I was the only, had all, that was the first uh, woman of color who had been a senior vice president. Wow. And it, I was like, man, it's 2021. <laughs> this is crazy. And, and they just, it was just like, it wasn't a welcoming, like you had to be, you had to fit in that box. And if you didn't fit in that box, and it was just not a good experience for you, right? And um, I think I was like, I think, did I ever fit in this box? I don't, I don't think so. And then I, 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 so I left in 18, went back to school. So I went to Wharton for their um, executive, you know, MBA program, uh, just to freshen up and, and got a certificate since I'd already gone to grad school. And then I went to Stanford uh, for their organizational excellence at their at their school of business um, to get a certified in organizational excellence, um, leveraging equity and inclusion. Nice. Because once I left, I said, okay, I need to use all these years of experience and all these contacts to make a difference. Yeah. How do I make a difference? So I decided it's two ways I can make a difference. One, using my business background to go into other businesses and help them from a business perspective, but also from a culture perspective. Mm -hmm. And so my company that I founded uh, is called Bumpershoot. And what we offer is interim C-suite leadership and um, process and practice improvement and cultural improvements through the lens of inclusion and equity. How can I make a difference in a bigger way, right? Because that's like one business, two businesses at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and I remembered this was like September of 20. I remembered that like 2009 when I was at Ann Taylor, I was there as Loft, I was the VP, and I tried to get all of us together because I knew there were so few of us, I was just gonna reach out to the people I knew and say, okay, bring a friend, we're gonna be here in market week, let's have, let's have dinner, we all should know each other. And six people showed up. Right, so I was like, "Oh my God, it's a problem. That's ridiculous." Because I know they have to be out there. That's impossible. So September 2020, 
I, I did a post on LinkedIn and I said, look, you know, about 10 years ago, I tried to do this and I told my story and I said, I had six people show up. I'm going to try to do it again. And hopefully, hopefully in 2020, this, there's a better situation. There are more of us, but I know we don't know each other because they spread us out. So reach out. We should know each other. And I think I got 10,000 people respond. Wow. Right. Um, that somebody, they all, and there were repeats. They all knew each other. Like they, they knew somebody that I should know. Right. So it came down to probably at the end, we did a zoom call. There were over a hundred women because we were to capacity. And the one thing I asked was, you know, we played this, like you like doing your, um, this or that. I said, okay, we're going to do a little icebreaker. I need you to finish this statement. Never, ever have I. Right. Mm-hmm. And ever, like, it was like, I don't know, 80 people raised their hand. <laughs> like, never, ever have I looked to my right, and looked to my left and seen anyone who was a peer who looked like me. Mm. Never have I ever. And so that led me to take it really seriously, uh, build a board and, um, and, you know, create a plan. And, you know, we are now 501c3 and women of color in retail is serious. We just had a meeting today to partner with the National Retail Federation. We have so many um, of these larger retailers that want to partner with us because they know we're serious. We have the background. We're not trying to create a, this is not a mentoring program. Mm -hmm. This is a real organization that will provide advocacy. It will provide tools. We're going to work with the retailers, the CEOs, the CHROs. We're going to understand what their biases are. What are the things that are getting in the way of them seeing all the people who work for them and really helping create paths so that you don't have to leave the company you might really enjoy being with. You don't have to leave there to have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And too many of us, you know, it, it's just, it's unbelievable. We get in and we can get to manager. And then the numbers just like every step, they just keep falling off, mm-hmm. right? They just keep falling off. And so how do we fix that? And so that's what women of color in retail is for. It's, yes, it's a network, so we want to offer support, but it's really about allyship, sponsorship, and, and leadership, and making sure that we can look to our right and look to our left and see peers at every level. And so that's, that's what we've been working on. And I'm really excited. We've partnered, you mentioned it before, we've partnered with Savage Expenti. We've partnered with Designer Shoe Warehouse, Abercrombie & Fitch. Um, I know I'm forgetting people. Oh, uh, we're working with The Gap. Um, uh, oh, Victoria's Secret. I mean, the big people want to be a part of this. So it's, it's exciting. It's important work. And um, yeah, I, I'm looking I forward to the change. Like, I want to be a part. <laughs> Well, you can, you can, you know, you know to. me, we yeah. can make that happen. That's easy. But I anyway, that, so that, that's my, that's my story. That's, that's my story. your story. That's amazing. I absolutely love what you're doing and, you know, how passionate you are about it. And, um, it seems like the, the journey that I felt like I'm trying to take, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, inclusion and stuff like that. And that's 
pretty much where I am, but I do, uh, but I feel like I like is mentorship. Um, and mm. what I don't have because I'm everybody else's mentor. Uh, yeah. that, and that's typical, that's kind of the, the problem that I'm facing right now. So I'm really glad that I've, you know, had this conversation with you. A lot of times when I interview people, I'm often, um, you know, just learning a lot about their experiences and like what they do, but I'm not actually necessarily like learning from them, but I feel like I've just learned so much about you and, you know, and, huh? what, and what you're doing. And I want to share with you like my vision and what I have going on. So I'm just like, we can definitely partner together. <laughs> oh, I think um, that's great. I'm open for it. Yeah, Absolutely. I actually, uh, I don't know, because um, I know, you, you know, uh, I, I own four businesses. Um, what? Yeah, okay. I do. Um, and one of them being um, LC Apparel Consulting. Um, it is a um, product development and production company for emerging designers in the, you know, black, most of my clientele is black. Um, in the last two years, I've done product development and production for over 200 black women brands. What? I'm right here. Wow. In I'm right here in Brooklyn, and my team is completely black too. I have ten employees. I love it. Uh, you have ten employees. I have That's ten employees, fantastic. and it is, they are all black, and we are the black women that we like. I say we're the black women making your clothes. Um, yeah. And I offer mentorship and coaching within that program on product development and and as well as production as well. Um, everything I do is right here in New York, is domestically. Um, don't work with too many overseas manufacturers, but I did work in the corporate space for a long time. So for you, I do have your, I want to ask your advice about something, you know, since we've done sure. in this highlight. So right now, um, for me, business is very much so crazy because, you know, I've, you know, building all these brands, but I'm also very lenient and I have like, of course, like payment plans. And within the payment okay. plans, I have, you know, designers that, you know, you know, things happen, they cannot pay. So, but that affects my overhead costs, which is hard for me to pay my employees. So I have recently, um, and it's funny, I went to an interview on Monday and I haven't been to a job interview in the last three years because I've, you know, been an entrepreneur. But my thought process was like, let me get back into the industry, let me make a little money, let my business still run, but me transitioning out of from being an entrepreneur, working in a space where I have created nothing but black uh, jobs around me, now going into the interview, and of course me walking the halls of this new company, um, I noticed that I was the only black person. I mean, granted, wow. I didn't get a full walk around during the interview, but during the interview, um, I was able to co even convince the guy, he hired me on the spot, he went twenty. Wow. He he went twenty thousand over what he told me what his budget was because I don't play that when it comes to salary. I have a very <laughs> right. extensive background. <laughs> I don't play that when it comes to salary. But you know, actually tomorrow is my first day, and I'm actually a little scared. because oh. I'm, I'm just like I haven't been in a space like this in a while, and me coming from that space, that's why I built my biz. I built my business the opposite of what I went through when I worked in corporate, and I was in product development and production management for the seven years. And okay. in every space that I was in, I was the only black girl in a position of leadership. I have been, you know, called the aggressive black girl. I've been, you know, I've been called different things, but it's just like, I'm here to do a job. I'm here to get things done. And not to, I'm not, I don't feel like I was aggressive anyway, but do I come off to make sure that I'm assertive and I insert myself in any position that I am? I absolutely do. But now yes. I'm like, tomorrow is going to be a test. <laughs> And I'm nervous, which is very, not like me to say the least, but I am because I, I literally built a business to do the opposite, to not, to give opportunities, to, right. you know, to be inclusive. And now I'm stepping back into this corporate fashion world. I got a position as a production manager, of course, 
And yeah, I'm not really sure how this is gonna go. <laughs> so what type of company is it? Um, I will be doing um, kit, well girls, girls, outerwear, um, sleepwear, swimwear. They're expanding, they're a new company. They've been around about um, since 2008. They only have one license. They have a Juicy Couture license. Um, okay. But that's pretty much it. They're, you know, they're a private label brand, um, and they're selling a lot and giving a lot to um, Walmart, Kohl's, Sears, oh. all the companies that I, literally every company I ever worked for. I worked for G3 for a long time in the Calvin Klein oh, yeah. yeah. Calvin Klein yeah. production handbags, and um, I, of course I managed the leather and now leather handbag accounts, and um, you know most of our retailers were, um, I believe, DSW, Macy's. Um, Hope look so this company is you know saying they don't have a like they tell me they don't have a set job description yet <laughs> they just need someone to pretty much like flush oh, out scary. this production division which is another reason why i took it because i'm just like well this is me I, this is what i do i i i do production i do job product development and i'm i'm comfortable with managing multiple brands at one time i'm comfortable with delegating working with the team i'm comfortable with working with smaller companies that are trying to expand because this is what i do but i'm nervous <laughs> yeah that's a lot so yeah. um and what's going to happen to your your brand you're going to be able to keep that yeah i have a commercial space i still got rent to pay over there i have 10 employees over there. that's another thing um i honestly i didn't tell them because I felt like every time I've been in, I feel like I did go to an interview um, a couple weeks ago and I got a lot of pushback because I own my own business and I started to create a proposal on the reasons why you should outsource your product development or production manufacturing, especially with the way the economy is going and stuff to keep overhead costs down. So I was calling myself trying to pitch this um, idea in the interview and they weren't going for it. Like, oh, you're just trying no. to use our company to build your business. I'm like, it's honestly completely different. I don't work with factories overseas for my business i only work domestically because we can because my clients can't hit certain moqs so to me it's not even the same i'm working with designers who are on their first collection and they're this is their first time i'm out working with big box retailers so i get it that um they feel like it's a conflict of interest but i don't feel like it is because to me i'm we're in two two completely different markets and all the designers i work with are black <laughs> look and they're let all me over tell the you. u.s <laughs> well even if that wasn't the Mm -hmm. What I have seen is that there is definitely a divide and a, an uneven, <laughs> unequal expectation uh, for women, for women of color, and then for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I see people all the time and they're having no problem with their own business, mm -hmm. right? But I know for a fact I had that issue. Right when I was getting back into corporate America after having my own business, people were like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know," because yeah. you had your own business, and you might think, "Well, that's given me more savviness, experience, and a different way to bring to your company." But you'd rather focus on that, yeah. not understanding that if I make a commitment, I make a commitment, right. right? And so, I understand that challenge, and I think that's smart and not saying anything. Because um, you never know what's going to happen. Right. Right. But if that also, on the flip side of that, should take away your nervousness, quite honestly, because you have something. Right. Yeah. Right. You you have something that's yours. Right. So right. If, if, if you get there and you're like, oh, 
this was a mistake. <laughs> I can just okay. go. <laughs> you true. can go. True. <laughs> right? True. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're right. So I wouldn't be nervous and don't let them make you nervous because you know what you're doing. You've been doing it for yourself. And right. that's harder than anything else because that's really like you, if you don't kill it, you can't eat it. Right. <laughs> right? So you're absolutely right. So that's, you should be proud of that and you sh that should give you extra fuel to show up like and show and that's how I, I, I when I say I gave it to him in an interview I like I, I gave it to him like I was talking to one of my clients oh. <laughs> I was just like okay. I kind of shocked myself <laughs> I, <laughs> I did I was like whoa okay I'm still good at this <laughs> okay okay and what do you want to come of it like what what is your end game for that well I do well I guess I really want to Honestly, help another company because like I want to have that on my resume too. Like I feel like I help I'm helping so many small brands, but if I can take a company of that caliber and be able to increase their overhead and decrease and like increase their sales, like because I'm great when it comes to factories, like that is something that I'm good at. I'm good at numbers and negotiating and cost and delivery and costing out products. Like that is my strong point. And I feel like if I can bring that to the table to a company like that, this proposal thing that I would like to do to offer to different companies of that caliber will work, but I have to have the track record. And right now my track record, I guess I'm building brands, but I want to take more established brands and push them out and be able to help them. That's what I want. Okay. So I think that by working for a company like this, especially when they're in a place where they are growing, that I can come to the door, creating a production division that you don't even have, make it successful, train a team, give them the tools that they need, and boom, stay in my business. Because that's the goal. Because I also I also own a nonprofit too. It's called the Black Girls Designer Club, and I okay. offer mentorship and coaching to young girls at ages six to twenty-two. And we do events, and we do um, teaching, and we um, have a whole program for um, young girls. And I want to be able also to raise money to be able to, to send those girls in my program and give them scholarships. And you know, okay. also pay for things right now. I'm take I'm donating money, of course, from the money I'm making at LC into the not for profit, and I'm or using my personal expenses to do all these things and pay for the activities that I do with these kids and stuff. Well, why are you using your money? If you're a five hundred one c three, then you should have you should use other people's money. There's money out there. Yeah, I'm working on it. I just, okay. Yeah, because I feel like LC has really taken up a lot of the LC Apparel Consultants taken a lot of my time, um, and I haven't been able to put as much time into building the Black Girls Designer Club. But I just hired someone new today, actually to assist me in that outreach and getting those those funds and those resources because I just got the 501c3 recently. Um, and then the other couple people on my e-board is like, I guess when non-for-profits because they don't see the dollar sign attached to it right away, they're wishy-washy. You know, I've had people like this say they're going to be there and they're going to do the mentorship and they're going to be active in the e-board and the growth of the not-for-profit and then they go ghost and I don't hear from them. So I really have been doing this a lot on myself and I have two other two other e-board members that have actually been active in like pushing this um, pushing this organization forward. Oh, okay. Well, but that's that's tough. It's tough. <laughs> nobody's gonna nobody's gonna push it like you push it. But yeah. the, the truth is, you do need people who are committed to it. Like yeah. that's the best. That's what I have found with women of color in retail. Mm -hmm. The my board is committed. It's small, but so they're, they're very committed. committed. That's, that's what right. I need. That's what I mean. That's, yeah. well, that's been my struggle, I guess, finding those committed people that are, you know, who want to do it and want to give back. 
we have a clothing drive next week. We have a manifestation vision board party at the end of the year. So I, they don't have to spend any money out their pocket. It's really just their time. Like, I just right. need their committed time. I'm providing the space because I own a commercial space. I'm, I'm you know, doing paying for the marketing. And I'm literally doing everything. But I just need people's time to help, you know, especially with outreach. Now, do you, or, or do you, um, you do everything yourself. Is that because nobody is doing it? Or do you, yeah, they laugh. you know, delegate? I delegate, but the only time people really step up is when we're having an event. So they'll do things for that event but other than that if we're not having an event it's like crickets <laughs> and how often do you um meet we're supposed to meet once a month but that doesn't happen that often either we're supposed to have monthly wellness checks for each other just to check on our mindset and our meetings but you know we'll sign on and it's on the calendar so everyone has it and then that day will come and then i'll walk into zoom and it's just me or one other person <laughs> Are they your friends or business associates? Um, I would say they're business associates. Like, there are women that I've built throughout the community, like uh, designers, just that I've gotten to know since I've been in New York. And I have, we have like a text thread that has like 22 black designers in it. And um, I try, I, you know, I always put the information in there. And people always say they're going to be there, but they, they always fall behind. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But That's I'm not, a shame. Not, you know, I'm, I'm, it's okay. Like, I just feel like I want to keep pushing forward. I'm constantly promoting, like, that I'm, you know, accepting new members and I like new people to come on board. And I've done, like, PSA announcements, but I'm just going to keep, you know, keeping that going until I get it to where I need to be and finding, like, like minded individuals like myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough, though. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's okay. It takes it takes a minute. <laughs> yeah. It takes a minute. Yeah, I'm not, I'm in no rush. You know, I'm on my own pace. I just wanted to, you know, I want to be able to do the things that you're doing and be able to provide different resources and stuff like that. So I'm I'm not in a rush. I just want to do it and do it right and just make a difference. That's what it's about, and that's what we were talking about. Just like making a difference. That's always my end goal is to just make a difference and to change lives and to have like diversity and inclusion. Literally, exactly your mission. <laughs> Yeah. diversity and inclusion that's all I want <laughs> right well I you know I wish you the best I think that you know you're killing it you're killing it but you have to stick with it you know it, it's not easy like some days it comes together mm-hmm. and some days no <laughs> um, but I, I definitely think that uh, what you're doing is really amazing thank you can you tell me like about a time like in your business that you want to share that you feel like you something went completely to hell? This is my segment I call "It's a disaster" or "It's a disaster." <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is there anything that happened within like your entrepreneurship journey and even in you know in your career where something taught you a very very valuable lesson about the way you do and or conduct business? Yeah, I guess. Um... I've had a few of those moments, but I guess if I look at my entrepreneurial experience, um, I would say that the idea that, um, you know, it's a straight line, you know, if you start it, it's going to keep growing or like professionally, once you start on a path, it's a straight path. Like that's just, you throw that out the window. That's not true. And so if I look at my entrepreneurial, um, experience, I'll just look at my, my line. We said we would go back to it. So let's talk about it. So I, I had a clothing line called MSL collections. We, you know, I used my experience 
um, and my connections, my relationships that I made while I was at Express. And um, when I left, I left because my mother, my father was very ill. My mother passed away. I'm an only child and I needed to make some decisions so that I could be there for my dad and my grandparents, right? But I wanted to stay in the industry. And, and like I had said earlier, while not trained, I had been designing clothing for a long time. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this idea. I have an idea for a fashion line, high-end, you know, real fashion for all sizes. Before it was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I put it out there and sold it to, we, we were in, I mean, we previewed at Fashion Week, but didn't have to spend the money because of relationships. We, we did the show at the Sugar Bar in New York City. We had uh, had friends who were in sales, um, who had people who had showrooms on Seventh Avenue come to the show. We had press at the show, all based on relationships. Where I called in favors, like hey, hey, right? It was amazing. We started selling around the box. So we sold to um, Nordstrom. We sold to Forgotten Woman. We sold to I forget the name of the the place. It was Miami based, but it was like ten stores. Like we kept it small. And then we also offered, very much like you, we offered, I offered private label um, packets for smaller, like that's when um, Essence Catalog was out. And, you know, other companies, they weren't just black owned businesses, but they were smaller businesses and we offered full back of house. So sit, I would sit in their coordination meetings and their design meetings, you know, okay, so we're gonna, this is what our marketing story is for this book. We, we have this much from the market. We have these holes. Kimberly, can you create the product that goes in the holes? It was great. I loved what I was doing. Loved it, loved it, loved it. A friend of mine um, went to work for a very large retailer that was not in that higher end space. Um, they were a big box store and um, they wanted to get into fashion but at a price point so they asked me to create a line for them which i did we put it in a hundred of their stores and it sold out in a month wow. they bought they bought back into it for all stores it sold out they brought back in we were turning it so quickly again because of relationships because those are big orders but we were turning them like in up uh, six weeks wow. you, you know and uh, it was the week before Christmas, and my accountant uh, reached out to my attorney. My attorney called me and said, hey, do you have any form of uh, proof that this retailer is gonna pay you? So I said, yeah, I got these letters, and it has the invoices, and it has the payment, and all that information. I said, what does this mean? Like, I haven't gotten this money? And so my accountant was on the call. He's like, you haven't gotten any of that money. So I said, so, because it was set up that the money would come in, it would go, it would pay for the LCs, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, so then I owe a couple hundred thousand dollars to these <laughs> companies? And he was like, yeah. I said, well, that's a problem. He's like, it is, because they just announced today that they're going out of business. Whoa. So I said, okay, so what are my options? I don't want to file for bankruptcy because I don't want to deal with that but I owe these companies and so I went and met with the banks 
and um, we had long conversations. Like I showed them my books. I wasn't trying to get over on them. You know, like, can we work some things out? I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to finish these these outstanding orders. I'm finishing those. And then I'm closing the LC. I'm going to get a job, and we're going to work out a payment plan. And they were wonderful to work with. They That's were. Right. right. And then I said, now I have an attorney. We're going to sue them. It took 10 years to get my money back. I would get a check every now and then, but I, instead of like being depressed or thinking, oh my God, I'm sunk. What do I do? I really just took a minute and I was like, okay, what can you do? You can work. You can always work. Yeah. And maybe you don't work for the rest of your life, but you don't, you can get yourself out of this hole. And that's what I did. And wow. as a result of being able to work through that, it wasn't the, like, of course, when I started my business and it was moving quickly, I saw like, oh, I'm going to make millions and I'm going to be doing this and I'm getting all this coverage. And I'm doing... I never would think that, that a company, happen. exactly. Um, but it, it just gave me more resilience, wow. right? To, 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 you know, to really, um, you know, bet on me. So I think that this is fake. The reason why I'm talking to you right now, because this is exactly what I'm facing. Oh, okay. I, this is pretty much why I needed to go get a job too. Like I had, well, for me, it's more of the the clients do. Like I almost honestly, I'm like fifty thousand dollars in outstanding invoices. Yeah. Um, well, based overhead. on who your clientele is, yeah. I thought that might be an issue. Okay. Yeah, and then um, the merchant services, I have an issue there too. They, um, because a client was, you know, irate and I wouldn't give her a refund money, I've done all the work, pattern making and um, samples and fabric sourcing, and she didn't like it, but she, it was her design and she chose the fabrics and I did everything that she asked me to do. So, and I have a contract in place, so I'm not going to refund. She filed a charge back on me. And it wasn't a lot, you know, it, I can lose it, it's fine. But the merchant account services that I use put a reserve on my account. So now, even to right now, any single transaction that goes through my account, they take 15%, which puts another $16,000 in reserves that I can't touch. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's what I'm up with. So I think that me, you know, talking to you today was for a reason. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like I'm kind of in that space where I'm just like, I don't want to give up on my business and I'm not going to give up on my business, but I have to pivot. And like you said, I can always work because I was trying to do everything but that. That was my yeah. last option. But I was just like, well, you know, this industry, you have experience in this industry. It's like, honestly, like riding a bike, just do it. It doesn't have to, like you just said, it doesn't have to be permanent, but I have to pull myself out of this hole. Because, of course, having that much, you know, deficit is hard for me to pay my team and pay our bills and pay our vendors. And that's, yeah, I think that I, you know, I think that we scheduled this interview for at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, without I doubt. Think that, right. You, um, you, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. But, yeah. it, you know, it's true. And, and sometimes we don't even know who we can talk about. Right. Like, who do we talk about this to? If yeah. they haven't gone through it, now, are they going to be able to understand? Yeah, and I have been holding it in because I, I don't have anyone to talk to about it. I'm first-generation like entrepreneurship in my family. Of course, my family yeah. doesn't even live here. So if 
for me now trying to explain this and talk about it like trying to explain what I'm feeling and what I'm going through yeah I, I, can't, I can't just talk to anyone about it you know um, but I do try to be very transparent like with my audience because I have such a big following I'm like trying to tell them like yeah you, you gotta have heart you gotta have passion you know um, and I do these things not in movie when I started the business I didn't do it because there was a dollar sign attached to it I did it because I loved it and for a long time I gave away my services for free and granted this mm. podcast is for free I pay for you know studio time and marketing out of my pocket just to put the information out there you know like this is just because wow. of how much I love it you know right right that's a lot though I mean and and I know I've been, you know I've been there um, and I can say like if when I was there you know I gave a lot of reasons why I did it right mm-hmm. but I didn't really know why I did it. I just felt like I don't think I have another choice <laughs> right but think about what you've done 108 episodes you could probably get a producer who could bring on some funding for you or get some sponsorships I have right, a couple some of the brands yeah I have you a do? couple okay. uh, a, but it basically breaks even it pretty much pays for the studio time um, I probably need to charge okay. a little more on that <laughs> okay okay um, yeah but you know I mean these le- you're not going to forget these lessons all right, I can definitely. just tell you that it's going to be good yeah. So before we wrap up, that's my last part. Um, it's just my last segment is called "It's a Muse." So if there's any quotes or affirmation or a book of anything like that that you want to share that has helped you, like within your career and in your journey, that you think an entrepreneurship or you know someone who's you know destined for greatness should you know keep in mind. Hmm. Goodness, there's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm. This is going to sound kind of trite, but, you know, I I was looking at this quote yesterday, and I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, it, um, Maya Angelou, you know, and Still I Rise. Oh, it's one of my favorite. I know that poem by heart. I learned that poem. It's yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. It's that, it's that part of it, though, that, I, that really hit home for me, mm-hmm. because whether you're an entrepreneur or you're, you are a woman of color and you're in this industry, it's a difficult industry. It's very difficult. Entrepreneurship, retail, fashion, very difficult. And every day you have to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes it feels like a weighted blanket, right? Like, oh my God, it's so hard to just walk across this office because I'm so <laughs> tired. It's just so heavy on my back. Um, but and still we rise. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's it. I'm gonna end that with the last part of it because I know it by heart. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously, wonderfully clear. I rise, radiant the gifts that my ancestor gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. Yes. I rise, I rise. I rise. That's right. That's Thank right. you so much, Kimberly, for joining me today. This has been wonderful speaking to you. I think this is going to be one of those episodes that people absolutely love. They love the conversations and less of the interview. Wonderful. <laughs> um, so, well, I'm oh, glad. Yeah, so open. And, you know, I feel like I learned a lot. The audience is going to learn a lot. And I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And, and, Please keep in touch. I want to know how everything's going. I will. Thank you so much. As I always say, guys, thank you. Stay black. Peace out. (laughs) Peace out.
All right. Bye, Julie. Thank you. Bye-bye.